show now after going on his show that gets me fired up man that's that kind of what do you call it the reciprocity (laughs) that's a little legal though is it i don't don't know i thought there was a cooler quid thank you that's what i was looking for that's what i was looking for quid pro quo (laughs) well ladies and gentlemen boys and girls children of all ages welcome start over (laughs) 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 welcome to the taq podcast i'm your host runt with here miss with mr never quit himself marcus luttrell and and we're super fired up to have you back on with us and today's show is going to be awesome if you if you're a first time listener hey listen our mission in life now is to expose you to the greatest stories ever told, the stories that will ignite the legend in you. We bring on amazing guests from all different walks of life uh, to come on to share their greatest never-quit story or stories to inspire you that that exists with inside you. If you want to know more about it, check us out at the TNQpodcast.com. Go to iTunes, subscribe to our podcast, the Team Never Quit Podcast, Tell all your friends, because listen, man, this is what we do. We are podcasters now, aren't we, brother? Officially. Officially. Yeah. I mean, you said it last you night, which was down. Yeah, they dropped that down on me. I'm like, we were, we're podcasters. You, you, well, had, anyway, last you night was, actually yeah. had to tell Rascal Flats that you're a podcaster. Yeah. It was awesome, dude. It was <laughs> Look on Jay's face when I was, I was like, what? Like, uh, yeah. it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. We're it is real. I mean, look at what these people that are supporting us, <laughs> listening to our show. Thank you. How great is that, right? Dude, know, thanks, man. We appreciate it. So, all right. So today's show, all right. We're gonna before we get into bringing Jordan on, and he's an amazing guy. We were super fired up, but before we do that, the wizard has got us for a that's debatable. <laughs> is that is that today? That's right now. Wait, so, okay, we're we're cool, doing man. it. We're they doing always, it. When you always drop me, they'll drop this on me. <laughs> I always look forward to what's coming up down the pipe next. That's debatable. That's cool, man. We're, we're doing it. That's debatable. Yep. All right, all right. So stand by because Wizard's going to fire away. So here, uh, go ahead, Wizard. I, are you no. ready? I, I'm getting ready to, to drop some serious knowledge on you, bud. You better get ready. Gentlemen, welcome to That's Debatable. 30 seconds on the clock. Question number one. Most American sport, baseball versus football. Go. Dude. That's easy. That's not even close. That is not even close. Baseball. Yeah. That uh, national pastime, right? Yeah, America's pastime. 
Although I I understand now. I, no, no, not really. No, it's not no. it's still the same. I mean, it, you hardcore baseball fans, hard. It's it's those two are synonymous with America. Like I grew up playing baseball, hated it, but now like I watched that Ken Burns documentary, like twenty million hours long. And I got to understand oh, yeah. the nuance yeah, yeah. of each little thing historically, yeah. and I tri- transitioned. So I believe baseball, national pastime. Right, yeah. All you right. there too? Yeah. Time. Question number two. Which sucks more, winter versus jungle warfare? Oh, that's easy. That's easy, dude. I'm going to say winter all day long, bro. That's the worst? Oh, oh yeah. Because I, w- I did a jest course down in, in the Philippines, yeah. and it sucked. But at least I wasn't freezing my ass off, dude. That's a tough one because in jungle, you know, it gets dang hot. You can't get away from anything there as well. Well, you're wet. You're wet. Point four. Yeah, you're hot, wet, and miserable. Yeah. Which both those environments, the mission sucked. Yeah. You, you know how it is, man. We'd be bitching about either way. Either way. <laughs> the only thing with in those besides maybe a. A polar bear or something like that. You ain't got to worry about anything eating you, crawling up on you, because there's nothing moving around out in that kind of weather besides us. Right, right, right. Uh, that's true. All right, that's you know what yeah. I mean. And, no, I'm gonna change my answer. You got. And me. then you're wet because once you, the you, environments because you're sweating your brains out because you got so many. So I'm. You know what? I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say I'll take winter warfare over jungle. Jungle sucks the worst. It does, right? Yeah, hands down. Yeah. Question number three. Star Trek versus Star Wars debate. That's easy. Star Wars. All day long. Absolutely. Yeah. That, I have to go with that one, too. Yeah. I, cause Star, I got to hope my parents weren't Trekkies, I guess. And so we didn't watch Star <laughs> Trek. We got, we watched Star Wars. I mean, that's us. That's our generation. <clears throat> that's our generation, man. Which we could be in trouble because those Trekkies are hardcore, right? They, well, they uh, like to fight. Man, I hear. They uh, get crazy at those shows. You ever been to one of those Comic-Cons? No. <laughs> They're awesome. I've never been. Dude. Oh man, we ought to try and do a show. show there, there, right? Get one of the get one of the artists on. Yeah. We ought to try and get Stan Lee yep. on here. Oh man, right? Let's do it. Yeah. Question number four: Who would you rather defend in court, Jeffrey Dahmer or Saddam Hussein? Saddam. I said Dahmer. Really? Yeah. These people. Yeah, I know, but I would just love to hear those stories. I know that's Wait, twisted. Say the question again. I mean, the debate I was... is the debate is who would you rather defend, defend oh, in court, yeah, no, Saddam I... or Jeffrey Dahmer? Because you know, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer's crazy. I mean, he's out of his gourd. Yeah. So it becomes for me. Just... You just wiped up my hearing everything. Yeah, I just want to get a gun. Dahmer's damn dictator, man. Yeah. I... You don't think the stories that he had? I mean, the persecution he... and. I just think it's pretty damn weird to eat yeah, but people, Saddam, man. Huh? Saddam never ate anybody. That's no. that's a mindset that I'm intrigued by. I mean, you know why all those documentaries on mask murderers and all that? Are, oh, they do so well. What are you talking about, man? Uh, Melanie, uh, when we when I crawl into bed at night, there's it's serial murderers on the. <laughs> that's when we go to sleep. To. She's worried about me having bad dreams, but you had up on the tube. <laughs> yeah, I can't Ted watch. Bundy. <laughs> I can't watch Natural Born Killers or or whatever. You know. Question number five: Six wolves versus two tigers. Go. Ooh. I understand there'd be no math involved. That's a pretty good one. <laughs> That's a good one, man. Do I have to try and quantify the exponential power of two tigers, tigers combined? Tear, tear yeah, down, I, I gotta go with the tigers. Six, six, not a complete. Six pack. wolves. Well, oh, what's a pack? It, does, it varies, but I, I go with tigers, man. Those things—they're so powerful. It's crazy. 700 pound tiger. They're the second, third, was the third fastest cat on the planet. On the planet. On the planet. 
Gentlemen, final question. Would you rather know everything and be amazed by nothing, or be amazed by everything because you know very little? That's easy. Second one. Yeah. I don't know nothing. Everything's... Because my in my mind, the true component of that is being amazed life. by everything. I mean, that's life. Literally, when you get up in the morning, you that's can't your wait choice. something to... Yeah. I mean, that's the... That's the essence of life, right? Yeah. We're on the same sheet on that one. All right, so we're bringing someone on now, and this person has built really uh, 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 one of the heaviest hitting podcasts that's on iTunes, that's out there. This dude has been seen, the podcast people and Jordan and his team have been seen on NBC, Men's Health, Details, Cosmopolitan, Sirius XM, The Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and Time. They get an average over 2.5 million downloads a month. They've had the likes of Larry King, Tim Ferriss, and every other pipe, Stanley McChrystal, every other pipe hitter, including us, by the way, on the show. So, Marcus, what do you think? Should we bring him on? Absolutely. They're looking forward to it. So let's welcome Jordan Harbinger from the Art of Charm to the TNQ Podcast. Marcus, when I go back to the place, man, where I start thinking to myself, dude, who was the first guy that brought us on his show, right? Who was the first cat that that rolled the dice, brought two knuckle dragon frogman onto his show to let us go on and on and on and on about pain and suffering and misery? And that's this dude right here, Mr. Jordan Harbinger from Art of Charm, man. Jordan, how you doing, brother? I'm good, man. Thanks for having me on. You know, it's kind of like being on a show with Hulk Hogan right now. <laughs> right? Isn't it? If you don't know who Hulk Hogan is, it's, it's the 1900s thing. He was. <laughs> so if you're born out, you wouldn't understand it. If you're from the 20th century. That's right. <laughs> then you might know. If you have WrestleMania 3 on VHS, it, then you might know. All, all they know about him is that he's got a horrible sex tape and he and he brought the hammer on Gawker, right? That's all these kids know about the Hulk. He did win that, didn't he? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That, was, that was a big deal. 37 million bucks, man. Oh, is that? Yeah. Oh, I just thought he oh. won. I didn't know he won all that. No, he crushed them. Oh. He crushed them bad. All right, Jordan. Well, listen, brother, the way our show works, it's, it's, a, it's rapid fire. It's slow. We're going to laugh. We're going to cry. We're going to scream. I want you to just get deep into your heart because our listeners are here because they're they're desperately trying to find where the never quit mindset lives, where it's from, how it works. And we know, brother, from the, the time we spent together, you got a pretty some pretty awesome stories. So we're we're gonna jump right in. We're gonna warm your cranium up now. All right. We're gonna Great. we're gonna soften up the gray matter in your brain. We're gonna shake it up a little bit. Are you ready? All right, I'm so ready. Stand by. Let's Here we go it. with the Mad Minute. Go ahead, Marcus. All right, your first vehicle. Uh, Ford Tempo. <laughs> what color was it? It was white. Awesome. A white Ford yeah. Tempo. Two door? Was it two door? <laughs> it was four door, and the gas pedal would stick. And I'm like, this is totally not <sighs> safe. And my dad, who worked for Ford, was like, that's fine. fine. You just have to hit the brake or just tap it, and it'll pop. It's back a up. tempo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's some, there's some, there's some movement. There's some wiggle room. Right, yeah, it's like an AK-47, right? They needed that for a re- yeah, exactly. <laughs> All the parts are a little right. shaky. They're they're a little loose, but it'll get you where you need to go. I love it. All right, all right, you ready, Jordan? This is reliable. 
Beatles, Rolling Stones, or Led Zeppelin? Rolling Stones. Nice. Which one? I was just listening to Paint It Black yesterday. Oh! oh, oh, that, oh. So good. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty fascinating. All right, all right. Here you go. Ready? If you had to fight one, who would it be? Sylvester Stallone or Arnold Schwarzenegger? Uh, man, I'm a huge pussy, so neither, but <laughs> I, I think... I think Honestly, I, I think Arnold is old enough right now where I feel like he would just be like, he, and he seems like a nice guy. So I, I, he'd probably let me get a few punches in. Stallone, I think, has still has something to prove. <laughs> I love, you just talk your way out of it. That's, that's what, what I, I love. You were asking that yeah. question. I was like, all right, who could, whose head could he get in? Yeah, he, that's what yeah. I was thinking. Yeah, he was going when he does. Totally. And like, would be that's right. Yeah, there. if I'm allowed to talk my way out of it, Stallone, because I think. You know, Schwarzenegger, he became the governor. He's got a lot of high power plans. Still on, I could appeal to vanity. I, I like I, that's perfect right there, dude. I love that. Oh, the two minute size up. Exactly. Right, once, right? You, once you pull that down, then you know. You're good. Mind. Yeah, you're never good. mind. No, no, you're good. Um, are you more of a Han Solo or Indiana Jones guy? Uh, great question. Probably more of an Indiana Jones guy. I feel like he's a little more responsible. I'm a little more responsible. I like that. I like that answer. Responsibility. I never would ever have thought about that with either of them, but I, I dig it. All right. I think he was ready for that question. No, no. He was but, so like, he's ready, you, right? you've done, you've <laughs> you fielded that question yeah. before, Jordan. I know. Right. All right. Here you go. Ready? Yeah, yeah. man. If you were top that one. If you were president for one day, what would you do? Oh, good question. For, well, I'd have to take a, a ride on Air Force One. Definitely. <laughs> Everyone I mean, says that's, that. that's a great answer, right? I mean, a sick answer. Mandatory. Air Force Marine One to the Air Force One. And I would, I definitely would, I would probably not even go anywhere else. I would just, I'd take a, a tour of all the White House places that you're not allowed to see. And I'd be like, all right, where are those, where are those uh, files from like Kennedy and uh, oh, man. Oh, what? yeah, they're bugging all, yeah, all of them, dude. All of them. Most of those are about to come out, right? 25 years? Soon, soon, 50 years, I thought. 50 years? Yeah. Yeah. Soon. Like, I want to I look at all those conspiracy things and be like, oh, why don't you just tell everybody that nothing happened? And they'll and then they're like, we try it. Nobody believes it. And like, the, there's probably all kinds of boring shit in there that, that people think, like, there's these great secrets in there. It's probably totally lame. Dude, I, I, I'll tell or, or every president was thinking the same thing, and then they even... It, Everyone just drops something off in there. Uh, you're going to let me take me to the basement in Area 51, please. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have a basement, sir. You do now. <laughs> yeah. it's, got Donald, it's got Donald Trump's real hair in it. So, so take that, me down there. So that's the question. You know, what kind of shit is he going to do? Like, what kind of trippy conspiracy theories are he going? Is he going to plant right no. over the next four Not years? Area 51, it's Area 15 now. <laughs> and I'm going to call. And I'm going to put a big Trump sign out front on it. You sure that's not it? It has a big truck. No, that's not it at all. That's not it. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. What I asked that. You're up, bro. Uh, movie character you'd like to play out in real life? Oh, man. Uh, movie character I'd like to play. Probably Iron Man. Not necessarily Iron Man, but... Great least, Tony Stark? Tony Great Stark. answer, man. Yeah. Oh, that was a good one. Yeah. Why doesn't anybody else think about... That's smart. You're going to play it out. Be a billionaire and a superhero. Listen, yeah. I didn't... You know, so, Jordan, why did you pick... Is that, is that why? Yeah, I, have you? He he has a crazy house. He's like funny. People love him slash hate him, and he's got superhero status. But then he can just kind of take it off and be like, "Well, I'll just go back to being a billionaire instead. Take a vacation." Yeah. 
I mean, Spider-Man is a teenager with pimples on his face and lives in an apartment (laughs) that goes and hang out to get to do his laundry at Aunt May's. What was I thinking when I picked... Brother, you know, so Spider-Man is Marcus's favorite (laughs) superhero and actual biggest role model. (laughs) That is true. I appreciate that, but at the end of the day, he goes and lives with, like, his aunt, right? I know. I didn't put (laughs) much thought into that whole part of it, okay? It never came out of the uniform. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and nobody nobody knows who he is, whereas Iron Man, right, right I believe, ah, yeah. knows who he exactly. is. Exactly. Right. Bill, billionaire philanthropist playboy. That's the way he throws everybody. that out. Yeah. Marcus, zero. Jordan, one. <laughs> yeah, bro. That's good stuff. We're going to put right, right, tally here, up right here. Here's the last question for you. All right. What is your greatest failure in life? Oh, man, I hired some of my friends early on in this business that I run and I had to fire them because they just like money, as you guys probably know, turns people, some people into just demons. And they they just instead of being friends, they were like, oh, I want to steal some money. It's so, unbelievable. Oh, that's I'm sorry that happened to you, brother. It sucks that's a bad you gotta deal. Fire, you got to people and you lose friends and you lose money. It's like the worst of all these little that trick, man, that go. It's a perfect storm, man. It sucks bad. Yeah, it, sucks. it really <laughs> sucks. Betray- betrayal is the worst. Tell me about it. Yeah. Betrayal is the worst than anything, I think. The, the second biggest failure that I think people can, might actually also be able to learn from is is going to college and then law school. It was just such a huge waste of time and money. I'm not using that stuff. And, like, you know, I, I've racked up six-figure debt doing that stuff. Well, the way I look at it, brother, is, you know, you got really smart on your p- way to get to where you are now, bro. Yeah, and you, and I got to tell you, man, we, you know, Marcus and I, we're, we're just totally impressed with what you've built and your team and what you got, brother. And it just, uh, again, it's just a real, real privilege to have you on with us, Jordan. Well, thank, thank you. you. Bro. I appreciate that. That, that, that <laughs> definitely makes me feel better about spending 130 grand in college. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that just like Rut said, man, we actually trick ourselves, too, because if you think about it like that way, you'll be pissed off all the time. All the time. <laughs> like, I, I actually had to go do that part to, to, to get this part. You, you got to <laughs> rationalize it. Like, I wouldn't have known about all the things I'm doing now if I didn't get, like, I wouldn't change it. You know, people go through serious crap, serious shit, and they're like, oh, yeah. I wouldn't have changed a thing. And it's like, yeah, you probably wouldn't have really wanted <laughs> to get leukemia or whatever it is. Like, some yeah. horrible thing. <laughs> like, I wouldn't change a thing. I'm like, yes, you would. You would. You would change leukemia. You would yeah. change, you that, know. That thing you got growing on your lip, man. I know you don't want that either. <laughs> hey, come on. Hold on, though. I just watched a documentary on Lemmy. And and that dude, you know, he had those huge boils on the side of his face, man, dressed like a Nazi, smoked, drank, used, you know, it was a speed freak. And that dude, when he says, I'd never change a thing, I believe him. Yeah. Well, his other, what were his other options, right, at that point? Like, <laughs> sometimes you got to look at the back and go, well, the fact that you're still alive and you're on TV right now, this is the optimal outcome for you, right? Sure. <laughs> and, and he says that. He says, everybody, all oh, my friends are already dead, so I'm good to go. Right. Yeah. He wouldn't change things. He'd just change the order. Yes. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> That's the kind of guy you, he is, right? You change, I just changed the order up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, come on, dude. Not nothing. <laughs> That's awesome. All right, all right, all right, all right. So, Jordan, that is our mad minute that we like to stretch a little bit. So let's, let's shift, man. People are, are here on this, come here to listen to us because they're searching for 
uh, really amazing stories. They're, they're, they're at a point in their life where they got to come over some kind of obstacle. They're facing deep adversity. They're down in the abyss of despair. And they're coming here because they want to hear something that's going to connect with them, that, that's something that they can relate to, something that's going to inspire them to really live with that never-quit mindset. So if you could, please share with us and our listener your greatest never-quit story. Sure. So this is this is probably not as cool as like some of the super harrowing experiences you guys hear on the show. But uh, when I was 20 years old, I got into a fake taxi in Mexico City and <laughs> I was living there at working for this nonprofit. And I lived on like the roof of these old people's house in like a kind of like a not barrio shanty town, but like a like a it's suburban neighborhood that wasn't super nice. And they had like an unfinished roof where there was a bedroom built that I could crash in there. So I would sleep there and I would go out to the street and I would take these like air. They had these this kind of place where there's school buses that and you probably see these in Texas a little bit. There's school buses and they airbrush them <laughs> Mariah Carey and stuff. Right. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Super brightly colored Mariah Carey with like crosses and Jesus stuff everywhere. And those are sort of de facto private transportation. And and I couldn't find one of those going where I was going. And I was all dressed up. So I was like, all right. I, it was probably 8 p.m. starting to get dark. And I thought I'd, I'd take this cab that was driving around up there. And I should have known that this wasn't a good sign because there just weren't that many cabs in this neighborhood ever. And I figured he had just dropped somebody off. But I thought I'd flag him down. So I flagged him down. I get in the car. And I'm 20 years old. Remember when when I tell you how stupid I was uh, my <laughs> age here. And he, I get in and, he, and tell him I want to go to the center of town. And the center of town in Mexico City is this like presidential palace. There's you know it's like the White House in um in this in D.C. And he goes, oh uh, okay, so we're driving, driving, driving. And Mexico City is like a bowl. Yeah. It's like down in in the middle of the bowl is the presidential palace and all the old mm -hmm. stuff. And the outside of the bowl, as you get higher and higher, are mountains and neighborhoods that are more polluted and less nice and all that stuff. So I'm living outside the bowl, and we keep driving. We're going up outside further away from the center of town. And I asked him, I'm like, what's going on right now? You know, we're, we're driving away from the, the center of town. And he goes, oh, uh, you know, I just need to ask some directions. Because I let him do it for a while because I thought, oh, traffic, or he's a cabbie. He knows yeah, one. yeah. And I was like, maybe we're taking a detour. And, and we just, we weren't. So he, he says, I'm asking for directions. And I thought, all right, this is weird because if you were in DC and you said White House and the cabbie was like, oh, hold on, let me find some directions. You would just, you, yeah. it doesn't make any yeah. sense. <laughs> Bail. Yeah. Have you like, have, how long have you been driving this cab? You know, 30 <laughs> minutes. So it would be a little scary. And I, I thought, well, that's weird. And your, my brain was going through all these weird rationalizations where I was like, oh, well, maybe he means he's got to get directions around some sort of traffic, or maybe he's got to, maybe I misunderstood what he said or, or something like that. And I didn't really want to believe what I kind of knew, which was that something was wrong. And I let him drive a little bit more and we kept getting further away. And I was like, look, just, just uh, take me back to where I was. And uh -huh. he's like, no, 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 we're almost there. And I was like, I know that's not true. <laughs> so the light bulb, bing. <laughs> yeah, like, we didn't get any directions. It's starting to get darker out like where we are. There's no street lights anymore. It's just kind of like this dark, dark, dark area, suburban, whatever. We we had just gone through an area where there were like a ton of, you know, red light 
shanties with prostitutes. I was like, we're definitely not <laughs> a nice area, like the hood, the dangerous area. And then I said, all right, just drop me off here, man. Look, I'll just pay you. And he goes, well, you know, you don't have enough money with you, right? Because I, I told him, oh, man, that's so stupid. I told him before when I got in the car, look, I have a, I have a credit card. I have to go to an ATM before I can pay you when we get downtown. So he knows that I have a credit card in my pocket and I'm dressed nice and then I'm foreign, which is just bad news. <laughs> yeah. This is the year 2000. I was 20 years Triple old. Triple threat. Just to reiterate. So I'm, we're driving and I'm like, oh crap, you know, I want to get out of the car and I can't because you know how on old cars, the if the plastic parts ripped off the lock, when it locks, it goes below the- Below the- <laughs> Sucks. So I'm like, oh shit. And I thought, oh, I'll just kick the window out. And then I was like, well, <laughs> but then I'm still going to have to open the door because otherwise I'm going to have to climb through this glass plate. And I knew it, that there was a low chance that this was nice modern auto glass because it's like a 1968 Volkswagen Beetle. Beetle, right? Yeah. I thought, like, if I kick this open, it's probably going to be plate glass, which means I'm not going to be even be able to crawl out without just like possibly cutting myself to the point of of lethal wounds. Right? I could bleed to death trying to get out of this moving vehicle with plate glass around me. It's it, it. So I thought, all right, um, that's not going to work. I checked the other door, same situation. I thought maybe this car is designed to have people not be able to get out because all the locks went below. The right. And uh, he he starts to stop the car, and we're in front of this like crappy cinder block building, really ghetto, no no real lights, like very very few lights except for coming from the inside of some of the buildings. And I put my arm between him and the door because I'm like, don't get out of the car. This is before everybody had cell phones, so he couldn't text his boys, he couldn't call anybody. I figured like this is the place, this is the secondary. This is the place, moment, right? The, this is the moment where you will get chopped up into little pieces or like a bunch of guys will run out of the building and, and get you or something like that or get in the car with you or whatever. And no, no one can hear me screaming here. And even if they could, they wouldn't care. Cause there's nobody, everybody around here looks like they're just minding their own business living in like a shack. So I, I don't think he, I mean, he, at that point he didn't know that I had my arm between him and the door and I said, don't move, just drive me back. And he's like, calm down, calm down. And he's reach he reached for the glove box, which is probably where he had like a knife or a gun or something. So I I pulled him back. I'd slid behind him at this point. I was sitting yeah. like in the corner from him. I had slid behind him at this point. I pulled him back uh into his seat with one arm, and then he made a fast one for the door. And then I had my arm there already. So I reached up around over his face and I just like choked him slash smoked really clumsily with my forearms and he was probably like 50 and I was 20. I probably weighed 210. He probably weighed like 125 pounds. So after he stopped moving, I climbed between the seats, uh, over like this giant stick shift. There's no real console in that car. I remember. And I opened his door, uh, and pushed him out of the car got out uh, of the car, pulled his, him, the rest of him out of the car, got back in the car, tried to drive the car, couldn't drive <laughs> because I was freaking out. You know, I was freaking out. And on top of freaking out, uh, every car that's from 1968, 1970, whatever, any car that's 30, 40 years old has like a trick to the clutch. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're not used to driving a stick, and you're you know 20 and you're you're freaking out cuz you're almost getting robbed and there's some sort of trick that you haven't 
driven this car before, you know, maybe like you got to double tap the clutch or yank the shifter yep. really hard. Like I didn't know this and I felt like I didn't have time to figure it out. So I took the keys out so that he couldn't just get up and drive after me if he woke up. Uh, and then I just threw those keys away, ran all the way back, uh, towards where we came from. Probably ran like, honestly, I probably ran like two, three miles. Wow. Just sweating. And I was running in like dressy shoes and these freaking Banana Republic chinos or whatever I was dressed in <laughs> at the time. And I, I finally, I flagged down uh, another car and it was impossible. Nobody wanted to stop because I was like this white guy in Mexico sweat running clothes <laughs> in the middle. It's probably like 930 p.m. at this point, looking really, really disgusting. And finally, somebody stopped this older guy and he's like, what's wrong? And I was like, oh, these guys tried to kidnap me or something. And in like in Spanish. And he's like, uh, all right, well, you know, it's dangerous here. And I was like, I know I got taken. <laughs> Duh. Yeah. And then this girl who I thought was his girlfriend or sorry for I thought was his daughter, I thought. But she probably turned out to be his girlfriend because that's kind of how they roll over there. She yeah. was like 21 and he was probably like 51. And uh, she's like, well, we can't just leave him here. I was like, look, I'll ride in the trunk. I don't even care. Just get me out of here. You know, give me give me out of here now. So they let me ride in the back and they they wouldn't uh, take me to the police station. They were like, don't go to the police, because if you go to the police, you know, your story sounds like you just basically murdered some cab driver potentially or he's alive. And they, they also could be in on this. You know, if yeah. they're corrupt cops, like they could just drive you right back here. And then you could end up right back in the situation where you were before. Or if that guy's injured, you have no proof that he took you there and you didn't want to go there. So you could end up in jail. They're like, you should just leave. So they drove me to a metro station. They they wouldn't even take me back to my house. They didn't want any liability for like where knowing anything about me. They took smart. me to a metro station. Yeah, it was pretty smart on their part, actually. And I went home and I packed all my stuff and I left. <laughs> Man, the fact that some random couple has... That kind of experience with the cops and everybody else. That's what I'm talking that's, about. That's the unnerving part, right? That's the yeah. culture, dude. It's yeah. the culture of where here, they white live. boy. Uh, this ain't your play. We, yeah, we need right. to tell you where you need to go. Yeah. Like the fact that the fact is that if they got kidnapped, they probably would also not go to the police. Right. So Damn. that was their their bit of advice was, oh, no, 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 don't. You can't go to the police. It wasn't just like we don't recommend going to the police. It was do you not don't go. go. Don't don't go to the police because it would be kind of like if you got robbed in Detroit and you're like, I'm going to walk through this neighborhood until I find the guy that did that. You know, like that's not a good move. You know, you, you would die doing that. Um, Get robbed again. <laughs> and again. Yeah. yeah. And again. For guy who told me this story is a long time ago, but he lived in like Palo Alto and his bike got stolen and he he grabbed his buddy's bike and started pedaling after the kid who stole it. And they kept going and going and going. And they ended up in like East Palo Alto. And then he's the guy turned into an apartment complex. And he's like, I'm done. I'm not chasing this kid into an apartment complex, right? Where right. all his friends live and are probably sitting around waiting for something like this to happen. So he oh, just turned around and let him have the bike. Yeah. Dude, it, what's, what's amazing to me is that that is the standard for so many places around the world. Yeah. Right? And your your story is one that happens frequently, if not all the time. One of a uh, close buddy of ours is one of his, his businesses, he protects people in Mexico City. And the guy does really well because it's the kidnap capital of the world. Man. And 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 you know, one of the things is is, you know, when you the the beauty of travel is is you know the the getting to be exposed to 
the, the, the great aspects of culture around the world, but it's also the, the beauty of it is getting exposed to the negative aspects of culture and the lessons that they can teach you that then you can turn and implement into your lives. So Jordan, what did you, when you had that experience and you were flying back to the States or wherever you went from there, how did you use that experience to, as a stepping stone for growth, for your educational process? I mean, what, 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 what impact did it have on you in the near term and the long term? Sure. That, yeah, that's actually a really good question. So what, what I did in retrospect, what I still do is whenever my mind tries to tell me something, I, ha- I look at it more carefully and say, all right, is this an emotional reaction based on fear or, or wishful thinking, or is this reality? And, and I, I take a few steps back to deconstruct this because what was happening in the cab, just to reiterate before, in case people sort of missed it, was I'm in the cab and I know something is wrong. And then I go, nah, it's probably not that. It's probably the. And the reason I was thinking of all that stuff was because going, oh, he's probably going to take me somewhere and chop me into little pieces is generally not what sane, normal people do in, in whenever any little thing happens. Uh, but it is something that you that I should, they realized something was seriously wrong well before I took action. And, and that's, that's normal, man. I mean, that's one of the right. most normal thing. And, and, you know, and when we go through our training, we see it present itself from day one with us as individuals and with the students and the key, you know, the key for us is we've got to, you know, it's instilling the intuitive decision-making process when threat recognition presents itself. So go on with, with, you know, yeah. with what you took away from it, please. Sure. So I, I basically will look at a situation and if I'm feeling like, oh, you know, I'm I'm OK with this situation because I don't really need uh, to be treated fairly or something like that. You know, it's like right. I get and go, oh, wait a minute. No, I, I just the reason I'm putting up with this is because. I'm trying not to make waves or, oh, it's easier to do this and sit here and take it than it is to to stand up for myself or, oh, maybe, you know, the reason I am rationalizing this. It, it, it even happened when I was single. I would go, oh, well, you know, I, I really that girl's really pretty, but, you know, she's probably got a boyfriend. Wait a minute. No, right. I'm just saying that because I don't want to look like an idiot in front of all my friends if she's like, get out of here or or if she says, oh, I'm married, you know, or something like that. So this this sort of rational rationalization process where you talk yourself out of things and when you talk, actually, it happens. The converse happens as well, where you talk yourself into things into things happens all the time. And, and it's even simple stuff like. Oh man, I should go to the gym today. I haven't been there in like three days. Well, I don't know. You know, I just had a big meal, so I'm pretty tired. And I got my parents coming over later. So if I go to the gym, I might be late for that. Oh, I'll I'll just not go to the gym today. I mean, we've all done stuff like that with money, with purchases, with investing, with going to the gym, with uh, meeting new friends or meeting women if you're a single guy or or a, a skis bag. You know, we've all done that type of thing in rationalizing our way out of something or rationalizing our way into something. And rationalizing is totally a part of the human condition. But the problem is it can get you killed uh, in situations like the one I was in. Like if I had just been like, well, okay, I guess he really is going to ask for directions. I'll just sit here and wait for him to come back. (laughs) Like might not be having this conversation at all. Now the question I got for you, and, and we talk about this all the time, man, is, you know, where does that rationalization come from? Does it come from 
where you grew up, the parents you had? Does it come from the training that you had in your life? Where does that construct of rationalization, do you believe, Jordan, where does it initiate and, and how easy is it to change? Yeah, I, th- I don't know 100% about where it comes from, but I have a feeling it comes from program. It's a combination of different things like expectations and programming. So if you expect yourself to be safe because you've lived in America your whole life, then when a cabbie's like, well, I got to ask directions, you're not thinking maybe he's a murderer or like or a kidnapper. You're thinking this guy's an idiot maybe, doesn't know where he's going, but you don't expect the worst. So there's expectations there. And there's also programming. Like there, I'm sure there are people out there who have died because they didn't want to tell some guy, women probably as well, especially who have died because they didn't want to say, please don't follow me down this alley. You're creeping me out right now. Or actually, I'm going to walk up to my door by myself because I don't know you that well. They didn't want to be rude. So they got, you know, murdered yep. or something in their own apartment. And I'm, I am sure that that has happened because of the programming. So when you combine expectations and programming, you go, well, my past experience, the programming has provided me the example that this is probably not going to end up poorly because very few of us have experiences where we died and got murdered by somebody, right? And lived to tell the, the tale. There's <laughs> well, zero, well, there's, there's right? one of us in this room that's yeah. <laughs> done it. Very, very few. And so when, when, I, when, when I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen here? I'm not thinking, well, last time you got kidnapped by a taxi driver, they cut you up in little pieces and you're never seen again, right? right? So your programming and experience says this is going to be fine. And yeah. your expectations say this is going to be fine. And your mannerisms say, well, why should I be the one to escalate this? Because I'm a nice person. I'm not going v- to be the first one to get violent here. And for me, I just thought after a while, well, wait a minute. I'm doing exactly what he wants me to do so far. And I've already, I'm already in the secondary location. Like I'm already at a huge disadvantage. I'm in his car. I'm in maybe his neighborhood right now. I don't know where I am. Actually, I don't have any weapons. He probably has something in the glove box. I didn't check. Actually. I was, that's the one thing I wonder is what was in the glove box that he was reaching for. Um, it was probably a knife or a gun. Uh, hopefully, not or a, a map or a, yeah. a map. Kids. And he's like, look, I'm GPS, just my kids. petition for save the people. Who knows? You know I mean? yeah, letter from President uh, Clinton or whoever. Yeah. Surprise birthday party for you. The whole Surprise, family. Everybody, you, everybody's waiting for you in the house. <laughs> exactly. You choked out Uncle Frank. You didn't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, all right. All right. So oh. what, I love your description of it. And I think all those things are relevant. I mean, for sure. And, and they, you, they do, right? Oh, sure. Uh, the whole time he was telling that story and you, and you think about that, the most important thing is to never totally ignore your gut. Oh. I mean, and this happens to people. You don't have to get jacked up in a cab to do this. Just imagine standing at, the, and I, I see this all the time. And it happens to me a lot too. So standing at the airport and lines or at the, at the store buying a water or, and you don't know exactly where the line is, right? So you walk up and there's somebody standing there next to you. And then there's the other guy who always walks up who jumps in front of everybody. And as you're moving up the line together, right, you've now have, you're in two lines and no one wants to say, hey, who was here first? I do it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but after you've been in the situation enough times, you take control of it. Right? Exactly. Exactly. And I mean, I think it's one of those things where everybody goes through that in some form or fashion. It's, it's all that stuff that we... It's societal norms. It's the characteristics that make you... Social That constructs. we can inhabitate. Yeah, you know, with each other. Amen. It's politeness. Yeah. And... and some people are really, really polite on all the way to the fact of getting your ass killed. Right. Because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. 
but you're you look you can walk into a room full of people you don't even know and if somebody's got that hey there's something wrong here in this room feeling going on Fighty you sense. can feel it right? right it's one of them you can feel that that tension when you walk in there no matter what it is and eventually you can see where it's coming from and put it all together and that's what he was talking about look man you can always take a step back we say we don't run to our death and when even if you get hit in the face man always there's time to figure out what's going on and then once you started putting all that stuff together which which didn't take very long and you remember when all that kidnapping was going down back in the day in those green cab, those uh, green beetle cabs? That's a, that's exactly what what same situation except for this was two thousand, and I I think those kidnappings that we heard about on the news was probably what, what like ten years ago or something. Yeah, yeah, it was like two, uh, like late two thousands. Yeah, so yeah, the fact so, that I mean that's before yeah. that. Just, Maybe that guy was the originator. He yeah. was the plank owner of the Green Beetle kidnappings. That you you actually Probably foiled. Learned. That was the first one he ever tried, and you foiled him. And, and it made him doubt himself. But he went back, and he he ended up succeeding. Yeah, I put up plexiglass, fixed the, the knobs. Or. <laughs> Or something where he couldn't get choked out from the back. <laughs> the first, the first result in Google for green Volkswagen Beetle kidnap is Mexicans try to fight plague of kidnapping September eight two thousand and four, and it's really scary because it says the video arrived last week by email, blurry, jerky, and laced with terror. The man staring into the camera was gaunt, bearded, and desperate. Today marks seventy days since I was kidnapped, and these people are prepared to do anything. I'm not going to read the rest of that article. No, 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 because yeah. no, that could create some serious tr- long term trauma for exactly. you all right all right so you so you, you had this experience at 20 years old you know repeatedly saying how naive you were you, your your rationality wasn't in the place it needed to be for your cultural environment environmental threats when was the next time in your life jordan that you had to apply that knowledge base that very specific because the way our brains the way trauma like that burns into our brain it becomes either a tremendous asset or a detriment, depending upon how That's it's the point. better of you. When was the next time that brain patterning was triggered and you had to use your experience to solve a, a challenging problem in order to overcome that one, too? Yeah, I mean, I listen to my gut a lot more now. I'm trying to think of a concrete example, but the the next... The, the next example of me using this exact same skill set was in a very similar situation. And I'm sure there were a million more in between then and this one. This one was 2005. It's just that I remember this one really clearly. Uh, I, I had a fellowship, like a scholarship from the Department of Defense uh, to teach English in the former Yugoslavia. And awesome. So basically, it, it's, a, it's a grant that if you have a, a language that you're learning that has some kind of um, interest for the government possibly like it's it's not spanish it's not german or something it's like pashto or sorry or something crazy arabic like you're going to egypt to study arabic and all that so i did that and i also taught english at the same time to kind of make money and that's kind of that's that was the whole deal is like you can learn and you can teach at the same time and and they pay you for that the u.s pays you for that instead of the the teaching company or whatever and I stayed there, and, and the the way that they handled things over there in Yugoslavia, which is what it was still called at the time, technically it was Serbia, but you had to register with the cops wherever you lived. You had to tell them where you lived, and it was a huge pain because the police there were just like what you would expect from some kind of communist BS 
place, uh, formerly communist socialist BS place where they're jerks. Like the, the scum of society is the cops, right? They're the guys <laughs> like bombed out of high school. They're just the henchmen. They're henchmen. They're knuckleheads. They're all like fat, sloppy dick bags. And so you show up at the at the police station. You have to do it within 24 hours of when you get back in the country. So every time I would travel, I would have to go back to the police station. So it's like 11 p.m. I'm sitting there. They're making me wait. And I'm sitting there. It's like 1.30 in the morning. And then the guy there just decided that since I was there so late, I must be some kind of criminal. So he threw me in a jail cell with <laughs> a bunch of gypsy women who are prostitutes who are just like chain smoking the whole time. Sweet. Awesome. And <laughs> oh man. So I spent the night in jail and I was like, this is bullshit. I'm never going to register with the cops again because these guys are just ass clowns and I'm so sick of this. So I, I'd stopped registering and telling them where I was living. Cause it was, I didn't want to go through that again. And so they, they started to show up to the former places where I would have lived and registered and be like, where is this guy? Where is this guy? You know, he, he's never here when he lived, when he says he's going to be here, you know, he does, where's his room, where's his stuff. And they call this friend of mine and they're like, if, if he's not there, the next time we show up tomorrow, then we're going to arrest you too. So my friend calls me and is like, you got to go register with the cops and tell them you're moving. So I told the cops that I was moving, but I, I put down like a random address because I didn't have a new place yet. And so they probably figured out after a few months that that was a, a BS address. I figured I would just never change it. And, you know, they would probably give up and figure they couldn't find the place or something. Right. And and that's not what happened. <laughs> so what happened <laughs> was they and again, you know, I was a young guy back then. I was 24, 25 years old. And I, I learned other lessons, but apparently not 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 some important. Ones. <laughs> and they kept looking for me. And they actually, I was at a concert on this old uh, island that was like a Turkish fortress. It was this awesome place. It looked like freaking Game of Thrones or something. And the they have black jeeps, the state security guys, and they roll around in these tinted black jeeps with government plates. And the state security guys that are in Serbia are not like regular cops and they're not like FBI. They're kind of like the majority of these guys are – or at least the, the, the large part of these guys are these cops that are only cops because they joined like a Bosnian Serb militia during the civil war. <laughs> I love it. And then they got their butts kicked by whatever, you know, Croats or, or Bosnians or whatever, and they got – pushed back and now they got resettled in another part of Serbia and th since they're unemployable and they have all this trauma and they've committed all these crazy crimes they become agents of the state so they get issued a badge and some sort of immunity and they basically just screw around all day so these guys caught up with us and they were just wasted and they were like methed out you know drunk guys driving around in this jeep and they they find they find me and my buddy and my buddy to make matters worse, his dad was a kind of sketchy, like arms potential. I don't know, totally know what he does, but he was a <laughs> sketchy criminal type. And my friend used to go back and forth to Switzerland with like tons of money strapped to him when he was a kid. And like, ah, I love this guy. We can we meet him if we come out there, bro? He's such a pain, man. I, I just this guy. I'm just so done with this guy. But yeah, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll make the introduction. No guarantees. <laughs> And, and so he, he's, he's pulling the whole, like, do you know who I am? You know, this is the whole thing. Like, you know, screw you guys. You guys aren't real policemen, that kind of thing. And I'm like, dude, calm down. And I'm talking to these guys and talking to them, trying to keep them calm. And they take us eventually, they, they're, they have guns at this point. So I'm not just getting in cars anymore. They take us eventually to 
a safe house where they're like, look, you know, we have to just get some stuff straight. And I'm like, look, I got to, I'm trying to jump out of the, off the car. I'm riding on the side of the car, trying to get like, figure out how I'm going to escape. But when you're going fast on a road and you're standing on running boards of a car, you just think like, I'm going to die if I jump off this car. <laughs> right. And so they take us to this the bar, which turns out to be like a safe house. And my friend is getting his ass kicked. And I'm basically having a conversation with the guy, staying super calm. There's a bartender there, and he's like, just relax. Everybody just relax, you know? And so I'm keeping things really calm, and I'm using the exact same skills that we teach at The Art of Charm and on the show, just remaining calm, redirecting these emotional threads of conversation to keep my my interrogators super calm. And eventually, they ended up leaving to go get us some water after a while. And that's when we ended up escaping, when I grabbed my friend and escaped. And so this was kind of a, a a more harrowing but less harrowing experience in a lot of ways because I didn't get hurt that much. I had some burn marks and stuff from some like cigarettes and some like I had some slaps and bruises, no big deal. But my friend had a bunch of puncture wounds because he was opening up his mouth and being a dumbass. And so they were stabbing him with a needle, which is totally terrifying because anything like a needle is just like – you know, where was this thing? And <laughs> so he had to go to the military hospital for a couple of days. He had uh, cracked ribs and all that stuff. And so the, the, the way that I use the skills here, it seems like a totally random different story, but the way that I use the skills here was I had planned in advance for something potentially terrible happening. Um, I, I still di- still went to the damn secondary location. You know, I wish I'd taken that anti-kidnap course sometime between the first and second time. But I, I still was able to manage to keep everything calm, pull all the, the, the humanizing tactics and stuff like that, and keep people not thinking about uh, the, the negative side. Keep my right. teacher not thinking about the negative side of things and keep him positively focused, redirecting the conversation. And looking at my own rationalizations, never really – acquiescing to those never thinking like all right you know this is going to be fine it's going to turn out okay just go with it i never went with that i was always trying to take control of the situation at at every point during the whole interaction and in retrospect there's still things i would have done differently like i probably would have just like bounced and never gone with them and let them do the whole thing in public because i feel like they would have given up on trying to take me in front of a bunch of people um, because it wouldn't have made as much sense for them and they were just wasted. So they probably would have just been like, screw it. But it would have been a lot easier for me to to just go with it and think, oh, everything's going to be fine. But I've remembered that first instance of my brain trying to trick your because your brain's trying to trick you into thinking everything's fine. Yep. In order to remain calm because it doesn't want to go into like adrenaline, maybe because it doesn't want to go into adrenaline over overload, but it's not helpful because it keeps you calm by keeping you in denial. So you have to find that happy medium of your brain keeping you calm while also remaining fully aware that there's something that's happening that you need to maintain control. And it's, it's so called stress inoculation. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I don't know that much about this stuff. You guys probably have formal training on this stuff. And the great part about it is, is you can hold that adrenaline push at bay once you control your mind enough yeah, to once where you, get it. And you keep calm. And I, mean, I got snatched up, too. It was one of them deals with just when you redirect and, and, and push everything away. But at the drop of a hat, you can li- literally think in your mind, I've been kidnapped. And, and turn that on and that adrenaline will fire. And that's what gets you out of there. Kind of. In a hurry. Right. I talked a little bit about that last night. Yeah. Yeah. What's interesting to me, though, is is I hear you, you know, deconstruct the event. And and I love that, you know, your hyper awareness to, you know, those pivot moments 
And, and I think that's the v- real valuable lesson in, in your description and, and also your growth from the first one to the second one. And obviously now I, I also, you know, is, you know, it sounds like, you know, your combination of emotional intelligence, uh, positive psychology, as well as r- real world acumen, right? Um, we're able to help you move into the position where you are now with what you do at Art of Charm. Was th- were, were these two events... Uh, do they do they play a huge role in in your desire to move forward and do what you're doing now? I think there's probably some subconscious stuff happening there. I mean, yeah, definitely the 2005 incident did. The 2000 incident in Mexico made me think like, oh man, you know, I should um, I should really join some sort of law enforcement thing or whatever because I feel like there's a lot of crazy ish out there that that needs <laughs> needs fixing and i looked at a lot of different uh i looked at a lot of different avenues for that but 2005 definitely because i thought oh man you know this is so common that well the 2005 incident actually was one of the few times it was kind of a turning point where i was like wait i could actually die and you know you remember when you were in your 20s and you went through that one or two situations i was just thinking about like, that you know, like you realize mortality phase. Yeah. The mortality phase where not like I'm going to die, but just when b- before that point, you always thought everything will be fine because it always had been fine. And every movie ends up fine. And you're, you know, oh, I'm pretty tough. I'm pretty smart. I'm yeah, everything still heals up. The right way, kind of. What's that? Yeah, everything heals up. You know, you can go drinking the night before, uh, get hit, by, you know, by a car in a parking lot. Get up. You've got a scrape. You got a hangover. You go to the gym the next day, and you're like, "I'm freaking invincible. This is yep. awesome, right?" And then do it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you do it three days in a row, and you're like, I-, "I feel great." And then suddenly, at some point in your 20s or 30s, you're like wow, I was sick for a really long time, or wow, I almost got killed there, or, or wow, I broke three ribs, or I got a concussion, and I, or I was in a coma for a few days. Like, everybody's got their little their little incident where they get out of that and they go, oh, man, you know, like, I am just as fragile as everybody else. I just didn't realize it until now. A humbling moment, isn't it? Yeah, it sucks, actually. I really yeah. pref- greatly preferred the whole I'm invincible, tough ninja you know, well, we're going to die. That was a really cool phase of my life. Now that I think about it. <laughs> right. Damn. Yeah. My, mine was my final, my final contract, my final deployment, you know, fall of uh, 2011. Um, I missed my, my oldest daughter's first birthday mm. and I got emotional. You know, here I am in a really horrible place in the world. I'm doing really sketchy things every <laughs> single night. And, and, you know, every night tonight I could get blown up, shot or beheaded. And, and I'm literally like, I missed her birthday. I got the Skype call. I saw the pictures, you know, and I got emotional and I was like, I felt vulnerable. And I was like, all right, I think it might be time. Yeah. And, oh yeah, man. You know, you, when you see it is one thing, but when you feel it as well, that's kind of, and you're, especially when you're out there doing that kind of thing and then you see mm-hmm. what's back behind you uh, and, uh, you know, you're feeling kind of like a it, it, it mean chops person. you down. Yeah, I mean, it chops you down. You're feeling kind of mean, anyways, and then you see something like, "Oh, now that was a total dick move there." Yeah. <laughs> you know, totally, it just shoots that into overdrive, and, you can't, and that's it's a change, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's change. a complete life psychological change. Yeah, all, one change. moment, literally, man, it all comes into the end. Well, that's wild. Well, Jordan, man, I, I gotta tell you, dude, it's I, I love uh, the way you describe it. You know, one of the great things is the, the people come in. 
and on the show with us. You know, they have such passion for telling these stories because of how how pivotal it was in their lives. And you know, what when if if you were to look back and and, and also looking forward and and what you're doing in life and where you're going in the future. What are some of the, like, what are probably, you know, three or four or two or three, whatever it might be, what are the most powerful things that you can take, that you've taken from those experiences and, and that you can share with our listeners that they, that they can begin to either search for or apply in their own lives? Sure. I think the key for me that, that I can pass down from these different experiences is look at the reason that you think things. And that sounds sort of weird, but. What I mean is whenever you have a thought, don't believe that it's true just because you're thinking it. Because every thought that you have is a product of your programming, your experience, like we mentioned before, your life experience and your programming, the, the being polite, the, that whole thing. Because I think a lot of people think they believe their own excuses a lot of the time. And so, and then once you get over that because you're doing the warrior thing or whatever, or you're like, no excuses, get to the gym or whatever, you get over that, but you'll do the exact same thought process with something you got to do for a class in university or, oh, you know, I can't really transition out of the service right now because blah, blah, blah. Or I can't really go back to school right now and, and learn this trade because I'm so busy with my kids. Mm -hmm. These things are true, but they're still just as much an excuse as I can't go to the gym because I got to pick someone up from the airport in five hours, right? There's, there's just as much crusty, programming baggage and experiential baggage hanging on to every thought that you have. And we never really examine this stuff. And it, it's a bummer because when you look at people that have negative or low self-esteem issues or, or something like that, they're just believing their own thoughts right? without question. Usually they're just believing their own thoughts. And, and we do a lot of believing our own thoughts, whether we have low self-esteem or high self-esteem, we tend to believe the voice in our head because we think it's us, but really it's just a combination of our programming and experience. So if you start sure. to examine the motivations that your brain has for telling you things, yeah, it's telling you to eat that burger and fries because you'll go to the gym and work out extra hard tomorrow or whatever it is, you know, like anything that you're doing that you're rationalizing, it's mm -hmm. always a result of your experiences and your programming. And you don't really notice it until you start to pause and go, all right, why am I telling myself this? Ah, it's because of it's because I don't want to do it. Well, why don't I want to do it? Well, because it's hard and it's far away and it's cold outside. All right, so you have to start then eliminating those rationalizations. And and the way that I I sort of do this on a really basic level is, for example, if people don't want to start when I started running, which I don't do anymore because I hate it and I do something else instead. But <laughs> I, I cycle. But when I tried to get out there and start running because I was kind of a fat ass in law school. I would get up early before class and I, it's Michigan at the time. You know, I lived in Michigan. I get up and I'd be like, it's so, so damn cold. I don't want to do this. And I go back to sleep. And so I said, all right, instead of going, I'm going to go for a five mile run. I'm just going to get up every morning and I'm going to put my running gear on. And then if I want to go back to sleep, I'll go back to sleep. And then I <laughs> put my gear back on my gear on and I go, all right, well, I already got my stuff on. I'm just going to go run. And that worked for a while, and then it stopped working, and then I would go, all right, instead of just getting up and putting my clothes on, because I know how cold it is out there, I'm going to get up, put my clothes on, go step on my front porch, and then if I want to go back to sleep, I'll go back to sleep. And I never went back to sleep, because if you just tell yourself, I'm going to put my running shoes on and go and stand on my front porch, you get that cold air, you're like, oh, I'm already in all my stuff, and you go for that run. 
you feel like a total ass if you go back right? out there and you put you go back in and you take all your stuff out and you crawl back into bed. I did it one time. I couldn't go back to sleep because I felt so guilty. So yeah. you use your own psychology against you, and and the only way to use your own psychology against you is to actually examine your motivations. And so if you examine those motivations and those thought processes and you break them down to those little component parts like, oh, the reason I'm making excuses not to go to the gym is because it's, uh, it's a pain to go outside because it's so cold. Well, all right, tell yourself you don't have to go and then just make yourself face the cold. It gets a lot easier because you break it down into components. And then at some point, you set up the, the reward so well for running that you don't care if it's sleeting outside at 4 o'clock in the morning and the sun hasn't even come up yet. You're just hooked on running. Or you're oh, yes. hooked on going to the gym, right? Because you built that that in. You have to change the pain point from being, oh, it's so cold out, and that's the pain point. Because our brains, it, th- we we shy away from pain. We avoid pain much more than we seek pleasure and much, much more than we seek long-term goals. So you will avoid the cold of going outside much more than you will avoid looking like an idiot in your wedding photos in nine months from now, (laughs) like like, like a fat slob. So you have to set up pain points that are immediate. And that immediate pain point might be, look, you don't even, you can change the pain point. It doesn't have to be, look, go to the gym every morning and work out. It can be just stand outside in your gear. And that pain point is enough to get you out of bed. It's all about examining motivations and they usually lead to pain points. Does that make sense? It makes great yeah, sense, absolutely. dude. It's awesome. Well, well, perfect way to explain that. And I've never heard it put like that too. But it's it, it is. It's breaking it down to the to the nothing. And we say that too. I mean, even though I want to be a Navy SEAL, I have to do this push up first. Well, in order to do that, I got to be able to bend my knees and get down there and do what's what. And I talk about building calluses. Yeah. So imagine somebody who's afraid everything's soft or weak. Just take your finger and start tapping it on the table. Eventually, it's going to callus up, and and you're going to go to your knuckle. You can callous your whole body and your mind. Inside to, and out. Yeah, inside <laughs> and out, right. To handle anything. <laughs> Amen. And, and and make the reward itself is just the act. And when that happens, when when the when the reward is the act itself, then you I mean. The motivational shift. It's locked in. That's part it's, of your life. It's locked it's your base, in. part of your baseline now. Behavioral, cognitive, emotional okay. lock-in, dude. I love it. Wait. Go for it. That's that was good. Well, thanks, brother. I appreciate it. That was yeah. nice. Hey, Jordan. Uh, you know, I I, I love. It, it sounds like you have put an incredible amount of thought, time, energy, and focus in in a very regimented process to improve on all these skills that are that are repeatable in every aspect of your life. So that's what the art of charm is. Can you tell our listeners where to go, where to find you, and what they can expect? Yeah, so what I do on The Art of Charm, it's a podcast just like this one that you're listening to right now. I don't do the video element, although I might start, because it's pretty cool being able to see you guys <laughs> and your shining faces this it's morning. It's not a media room. In your, it's, uh, it's in your TNQ room here with all your craft. Studio. studio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's all the studio, man. What's, we look how much post Spider Man back there and everything, right? It's cool. Like all I got, all I got is this crappy like lights in a door with all my gear in it and an acoustic panel. And like if somebody walks in, you know, right now they're Maybe just going to be on this. Doing. So I need some <laughs> kind of cool backdrop, like you guys. Said. Job. But you're listening to a podcast right now, of course. I'm the Art of Charm, or AOC is what you'll you'll see in iTunes or Stitcher or, or the website. Or people can go go to theartofcharm.com. And basically, what I do is I teach a lot of skills similar to what. What I mentioned today, I, I also do interviews where I ask brilliant people interesting questions and, and I make their wisdom available to everyone. I had you guys on, so as you can see, there is exceptions to the brilliant people rule. But I, I that should actually be uh, 
a disclaimer up in there. <laughs> for, you, you got to put an asterisk so when you post, you know, back on the post for that yeah, one. Hey, it, you are going to de-learn on this yeah, show. Right and left. Man. <laughs> Whole different category. We got a lot of good feedback. Got a lot of good feedback on that one. Surprise, surprise, surprise. But but I, I interview people like I had Larry King on to talk about conversational skills. I had General Stanley McChrystal on to talk about how to make tough decisions. Um, I've got CIA agents to talk about how they read people. I had FBI hostage negotiator on to talk about negotiation. And then we teach those same skills to the listening audience. So it's it's pretty cool if I do say so myself and People can find that at theartofcharm.com or they can just search in iTunes for AOC podcast. No, uh, it, it is what, what you do, man. It's it's an awesome, um, awesome show. And you're right. Those guys, and the only reason I know this, because I got my butt handed to me by a CIA uh, yeah. operator. I mean, just the bet was that he couldn't pick me apart. We were at the lunch table. I think I've told you this story, yeah. right? And then by the time he came over and buddied up with me and we just started talking, and I, I mean... In about thirty minutes, I was—I thought I was best buds with this dude. Oh, it was just telling him every, yeah, you know, I'm from Texas, man, and blah blah blah, this, that and the other. And uh, it's amazing what you can do. It's the confidence level and just overall those those certain questions that you get in, man, and just opens that door. Rapport. And it's yeah, it's re- <laughs> developing that. I mean, beating the hell out of somebody and dragging it out—one way to do it. But when yeah. you get that guy who smooths right in there and just you think you've been buddies forever, stand by. Yeah, you're done. You're done, man. You're done. Well. Well, Jordan, thank you so much, Brian. And you can also find yeah. Jordan on Facebook yeah. and Twitter and Instagram and all those. Please follow him, guys. So, Jordan, man, That's it's right. just been a real, again, a real privilege, dude. I loved having you on. I love the stories. and But more importantly, I love your mind and the way you are able to delineate, you know, in specificity for our listeners, how they can learn the never quit mindset as it relates to your experience was awesome, brother. So thank you. Thank you. It was really fun being on your show, guys. I really appreciate it. And uh, look, this has been super cool. I, I really appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, awesome. Brother. Take care. God bless you, brother. Bro. Later. Well, I tell you what, that dude, hopefully his travel habits have gotten better, bro. Picks up a little bit better. <laughs> Hey, man, it's hardcore getting jammed up one time over there. But to have it twice, man, and that that Yugoslavian one, man, that could have gone sideways fast, dude. Morgan got jammed up one time overseas. He was telling me about it, and really, you know what he's capable of? Oh my and god! He was, he's like, I didn't like that because I had that uneasy. I mean, because well, the one thing is, is you know, and you you think about the dudes who do operate by themselves, right? <laughs> I mean, you look at some of our buddies who've been in that role and had to do some stuff on their own for 30 days in places. Wow. And look what's how we're evolved, obviously. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. I'm guy, that's a one-man show right there. Oh, bro. And it's going further down that path right yeah, yeah. now. That's what I'm talking about right there, right? Oh, my God. So if you don't possess those skill sets that Jordan was talking about, you know what I mean? If you don't have that emotional sure. awareness, situational awareness, whatever you want to call it, you're gonna you're, you're not gonna be able to process and what real an time. awesome skill set. I mean, we we get it by default because of the training and, and we're, we're it's part of the program. But well, and we were discussing this earlier offline back in the day. If you couldn't take care of yourself or you didn't have buddies, and you had to be funny, right? <laughs> you had to be quick with your tongue if you weren't quick with your fists. <laughs> And I, I mean, with them guys that aren't funny, you know, you literally sit back and you can talk your way out of most situations. I, I, 
I mean, if you've been pulled into one of those deals and, and you're not, well, if you're not dead right if, away, right? If then, you're not dead right away, you got a shot. You got a shot. Yeah. Right, hands down. Yeah. They hadn't killed you all right off the bat. You got a shot. You know, I, I, you know, he was talking, you were talking about, you know, your experience with uh, an interrogator as well. And, and, you know, I, one of my closest friends in the past has been a, a guy that spent a lot of time doing that work. And, and man, his thing was, you know, every single time is, is probing for that emotional, yeah. that emotional gap that you can make that connective tissue. And it's the most powerful thing in the world, right? Well, look at how throughout history, people manipulate one another, not so much by, you know, dropping an atom bomb will definitely manipulate you, but, but, you know, but more so that being able to get into somebody's head, connect with them and convince them to do things on a grander scale. And make it think it was their idea. Yeah. That's, uh, that's awesome. That's big stuff. Well, right? yeah. it can be dangerous and, and a blessing. I mean, you get somebody who is really proficient at that. Oh, dude. Stand by. I've met I've met some dudes that are like they're super geniuses, you know, and they can they can do that stuff in real time that I, I stuff I can't even imagine. No, no. I, I mean the, the guy that I got a got a hold of me, man. I just think he he'd been in the situations in in wartime to apply that. Yep. And so everywhere. He was real good. He was super good. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> so much so I'm bragging about getting <laughs> worked over. <laughs> It was that good. I'm like, bro, that's a good job. <laughs> I love it. Well, well, we were super fired. I mean, so listen, I, honest God, if you if you need some education, you need to understand some of these things. How to have better relationships. How to how to how to do better at, at work environments. Man, check out Jordan and his team over at Art of Charm. Man, they spent a lot of time, a lot of effort to try and give you some some unique insights on how to process this stuff. So I, I think it was awesome having him on. Man, I'm super fired up. He came on with us. Absolutely. Well, so that's all we got on this show, this episode of the TNQ podcast. And as usual, I just want to thank you guys for, you know, the incredible support that you've given us here over the last few months and supporting us. Please take, you know, take this, what you've learned here, apply it in your lives, fulfill the mission that is your ability to become great yourself, to ignite the legend with inside, to live with that true purpose and, and learn to have the never quit mindset because that's what we're here for. That's our mission. That's what Marcus and I truly care about is your ability to overcome obstacles, face adversity, and to live an inspired, fulfilling life, right? I mean, that's that's why we're here. Absolutely. And just having the opportunity to, uh, after everything that we've been through, and sit down and, and bring this kind of message out to everybody is just a, man, a blessing. Thanks thanks to everybody for letting us do that. Thanks, thanks to the wife for letting me get out here and do it, and for, and for uh, all my friends that watched over me. Uh, God bless. God bless. Thank you. We're out. <laughs>